Hello and welcome to one of a short series of podcasts which will investigate aspects of impact assessment from four different perspectives or four different lenses. Please keep the conversation going by tweeting any thoughts with the hashtag ImpactFrameworks. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Sana Zakaria and I work for NIHR. Today I'm talking to Katrina Fur, who's the Associate Director for Research Environment at Research England, about her views on the use of impact assessment for allocation from her personal and professional perspective. So we're going to be talking about allocation, like I said, and you know, allocation of funding resources, quite a complex subject with multiple facets to take into account, no doubt. So I guess to kick us off really, um, let's talk about the REF a little bit. So when it comes to allocation of research funding to universities, how do you think an exercise like REF has influenced the allocation agenda? Yeah, I mean, I think we we know that the REF has been uh, has had a huge influence in terms of uh, developing the uh, the impact agenda. Um, in terms of allocation, I think it might be useful right at the start to outline how Research England allocates its funding and how that's related to REF, because I think it's not always clear. Um, before I joined Research England, I wasn't that clear on how it worked. Um, I think it's quite opaque to those who aren't directly involved in, uh, in dealing with institutional funding. Um, so unlike the research councils, which provide project-based funding, Research England provides what we call the block grant of quality-related funding, um, which is, uh, we always say, unhypothecated, which again is a word I didn't know until I joined Research England. <laughs> um, another bit of nice uh, jargon, but it means basically that universities have the autonomy to allocate it how they choose. It's not linked to any specific projects. Um, so this gives them stability through the, um, the the recurring grant, but also allows them to invest it flexibly. Um, they very often use it to make up overheads, um, to support staff and student capacity building, um, and quite often to fund research projects directly where there aren't any other funding sources available. So that's quite quite often to individual researchers, it just goes into a big black pot, a big pot, um, it's a black hole of university funding. Um, so in terms of how it links with the REF, we allocate the funding on the basis of quality, volume and the relative cost of research in different subject areas. And it's, used calculate, it's calculated using a formula based on the outcomes of the REF, so the, uh, the four star to one star um, quality, um, and takes in the volume, so the size of a university's submission to the REF, and the subject weighting um, to recognise, as I say, that different subjects have different cost implications. Um, so it allows us to, to fund excellence where it's found and gives us robust, transparent allocation method. Uh, it's coming on to, to impact, though. Um, REF 2014 um, was obviously the first time that impact was included in the assessment exercise. It hadn't been in previous ones and subsequently was the first time in England that wider societal and uh, economic benefits of research were taken into account when allocating QR. Um, it sent, I, say, I think, a very strong message to the sector um, and has really helped to embed impact in everyday academic activities in a way that they might not have been beforehand. It, uh, it validated those who were already doing um, a lot of, uh, of impact activities um, and then opened it up for discussion, um, prompted others um, to uh, yeah, start engaging beyond um, the academic community. But in terms of, um, of allocation, again, I think it's important to note that unlike project funding, we can't actually draw a direct link between the scores of impact case studies 
um, that they got in the REF and the allocation of funding at an individual level. Um, the scores of case studies are combined to uh, create an overall sub-profile for a unit of assessment um, that's then also combined with the, uh, with the volume measure, as I say. Um, and universities at the other end can invest it however they want. Um, so if a department had um, phenomenally um, uh, successful impact case studies, high scores, um, there's nothing to say, first of all, that the university would have to um, in invest the money back into that uh, department or that they would have to invest it in impact. Um, so it's quite difficult, actually, to draw that, um, that sort of line between allocation and impact and back again um, it, with the, um, with the within the flexibility of the, uh, of the QR funding. From what you're saying, it sounds like um, the combination of that um, um, ref assessments and the volume assessments and, you know, the various kind of measures you take into account, it's perhaps been um, easier to allocate from Research England's perspective. But when it goes into universities, it's kind of out of the control and quite um, subjective, perhaps, um, in terms of where that investment goes further on within departments. Yeah, um, and I think universities um, obviously are able to determine their uh, their own priorities within that. Um, and you might find that some universities um, look at those areas where they performed well in the REF and think those are idea those are areas we'd like to invest in further. Um, others may decide actually know that uh, yeah that they want to pump money into those that uh, that didn't do so well in the REF and, and bring them up to uh, to a higher standards. Um, and we think it's important to, to give universities the, the flexibility to do that. They they know their uh, their institution, they know their um, institutional context, regional context um, better than anyone else. Um, and I think it's it's important that this is kind of the only pot of money that floats about that gives institutions that flexibility um, to to work with it. Um, and it also means that they have more than potentially to invest in impact. Um, one of the things we see quite often funded through it, and I that was personally uh, the case for me um, when I worked um, at a university in a research office, is that quality-related QR funding um, can be used to, uh, to fund um, posts uh, within research offices such as impact officers. So providing that kind of infrastructure um, and resources um, within institutions. I guess moving on from REF, uh, really, to, and talking about university league tables. Now, um, in terms of allocation, we do see um, a lot of practices by funders, uh, you know, in assessment panels as well, where there might be certain stock put in university league tables. Now, what is your sense of using these type of rankings when it comes to allocation? Uh, so I would say that Research England and uh, and the REF panels do not use league tables or ranking to uh, to allocate funding. Um, I think we're very clear about that. The way we present the REF results, um, we don't present them in ranked order. Um, and uh, funding is based on the formula. It's a criteria-based approach rather than a sort of league table or ranking. 
as a sector, I think we have to be really careful when we look and think about how we use league tables. Uh, many of them are based on proxy measures of quality, things like journal impact factors, and they often really lack a transparency in their methods, both in terms of the data that they use and the, the weightings that they apply to that. It's not very clear how the universities are ranked. We know that they're very, um, very attractive um, if you want to get a very quick um, idea of where an institution sits. And of course, they're very attractive for institutions um, because they uh, they act as advertising if they get um, further up the rankings, um, particularly internationally. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's obviously something that a lot of uh, vice chancellors are interested in. But I think we are very aware of the, um, the risks around about using league tables irresponsibly. Um, if they place a value on a set of nebulous metrics, um, that, that's not a robust way of measuring the quality of research. Um, and I, I would like to think that you wouldn't find funders in the UK um, placing great value on league tables to, uh, to assess or to allocate funding. Um, and I think I can categorically say that the REF panels do not take them into account in their assessment. That's something we're quite clear about in the criteria. I guess then now to the um, something quite different around the leveling up agenda. Now, there's been recent momentum around this agenda and the challenge and the tension that lies between funding excellence versus funding where the need might be. And they're not, of course, um, mutually exclusive. So what kind of impact assessments are needed here um, in this context to drive appropriate allocation of resources? I, th I think it's really important um, what you say to acknowledge that there isn't any kind of inherent conflict between funding excellence and, and any kind of funding based on need. Um, what we found, um, going back to the, the kind of the unique way that Research England allocates funding, is that there are actually uh, quite a lot of challenges to allocating it um, for place-based outcomes. We reward universities based on their past performance through REF. Um, and we don't stipulate how it should be spent. It's interesting that when you look at the, the regional distribution, um, differences in QR funding levels between regions are mostly actually due to differences in research capacity. Um, and this comes down to the fact that the REF um, takes, into, takes volume into account um, when uh, within the formula. We know that there's excellent research going on across the UK, um, which then means that we know that there's scope to use targeted funding, for example, to increase capacity where there is excellent research. Um, and that's something we've been trialing. And there, there's a programme called the Expanding Excellence in England Funder, E3, um, which has been offering funding to sort of small but excellent units um, to help them expand um, and help them expand sort of ahead of the, the next ref. Um, it's obviously going to be a long time before we see kind of spillover effects um, because it's, it's only been running for a year and these will obviously take a while for, for units to build up and build up this capacity. But it's something, that, a way that we see of being able to, um, to help contribute to the levelling up agenda. Um, I did ask about this. Um, I must say probably at this point that, uh, yeah, that I'm not actually an expert on funding and allocations. That, that doesn't actually fall within my portfolio. Um, so I've been asking colleagues around about this. And I spoke to one of my, um, my colleagues in Knowledge Exchange um, 
he was telling me about uh, the UKRI's Strength in Places Fund or the, the SIP Fund, um, which awards funding still based on excellence, but is one of the only funds around that takes location into account when assessing an application. Um, and what she was saying is when they think about allocation, one of the things they really consider is the project's significance relative to local economic growth. Um, so really not um, having a one size fits all approach to it, um, really thinking about that, that relative impact that a project could have. Um, and then also still, say, taking into account the uh, again excellence. Um, I think she didn't say this, um, but, uh, but I think we can kind of assume that there's there's no point funding um, bad research um, in just because it's in an area of need. Um, I, think, I think that that's not going to help anyone. So I think excellence is still incredibly important when uh, when thinking about that. But but finding that tailored approach where you understand um, what's needed and what impact um, a project could have relative to um, the the need. Sure. So I guess it's more about. Um, spotting where there is excellence in small pockets and growing that and building that capacity really more in a, in a more kind of equ equitable fashion in the long term. And it, it really throws an interesting, um, you know, so for example, the pandemic has thrown a really interesting lens on it where, you know, we know that most of the investment um, made around excellence does go into the golden triangle. And of course, that's where a lot of the vaccine development work has been focused around. And so, again, kind of brings a very different perspective on the um, allocation space. Yeah. Um, and I know, I mean, the, um, the government is, uh, has been doing um, a lot of work on this. Um, the the R&D roadmap um, set out the commitment to making sure that a research and development system delivers economic societal benefits right across the UK. Um I think there are the R&D places strategy um, and it's important to note that, it, yeah, it's places rather than place strategy. Um, it's, uh, I think they're currently working on that and I think we're feeding into that in some ways. But uh, but yeah, I think what the minister said, I think it's quite important, is that it's not just about how much money we spend in each place, um, that you're not going to level up just by moving all the funding from London to elsewhere. Um, it's more about thinking about the outcomes and thinking about the impact that the R&D system can have in different places across the country. Um, coming back again to this idea of sort of relative um, benefits um, and relative significance. Um, and really thinking about how we can develop the different approaches that are needed in different places um, that take account of the different characteristics, different challenges facing regions, but also their different opportunities to develop. Um, and I think those are, it needs to be thought of um, holistically, but in... Um, in a very specific way sometimes for each region, rather than trying to find a, a one-size-fits-all approach. I don't think that will help anyone, really. Are there any last words you want to say to our listeners today, Katrina? Good luck to everyone who is uh, working on their uh, their REF submissions. Um, we, uh, we appreciate um, that these are challenging <laughs> times and, uh, and are, are yes, uh, really uh, phenomenally impressed with the, uh, with the effort that's gone in. Um, across uh, the, the sector um, to making that happen alongside all the amazing work that's been done um, on COVID and just in keeping universities running so successfully.
thank you for listening to this podcast. It's one of four in a series exploring different impact lenses. Please return to the website to discover the others. And don't forget to tweet us your comments and questions at hashtag impact frameworks. And once again, thank you for listening.